Welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermons podcast. Today's sermon features Bible teacher Duffy Robbins, and it was recorded on Sunday, June 19th, 2022. As always, if you're in the area, join us this Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. Or you can learn about our ways to connect with life-changing community here at FaithBridge during the week as well. Email info at faithbridge.org to learn how. And as always, you can join us for FaithBridge at home at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Duffy. All right, good morning, everybody. My name is Duffy Robbins. Welcome to FaithBridge Church and happy Father's Day. Hey, first of all, let's give a big round of applause to Ellery and Bernard. Were they amazing on the video there? That was very cool, really awesome. I love Bernard because Bernard starts off, he's totally got his game face on uh, until he gets to say, you're fired. And then he really just brightened up. I was watching that thing that kind of made me a little bit sad because I was just thinking, you know what? My parents deserve to have children like that. But, uh, but thank you for coming this morning. Uh, we're going to start off with a little bit of a survey today. Uh, it was a simple question. How many of you in the room know what it means to have a DTR talk? Would you just raise your hand if you know what is a DTR talk? Who knows what a DTR talk is? Not, not too many. Okay. Uh, down here in the second room, could you just yell it out? You can stand up if you want, but just tell us what is a DTR conversation? Okay, define the relationship. Define the, according to the Urban Dictionary, a, a DTR talk is when two people who are in a romantic relationship define the nature, the status of that relationship. So are, are we dating? Are we just hanging out? Are we boyfriend and girlfriend? Are we exclusive? Uh, does this mean from now on you're buying my meals? Uh, are you giving me a ring? Uh, have we been married for 12 years? Uh, do we have three kids and a mortgage? That's, that's kind of a define the relationship conversation. Um, in fact, just out of curiosity, how many of you have actually been in, now that you know, how many have been in a define the relationship, a DTR conversation? Anybody been in one? Okay. Would you mind just coming up and share a little bit? Of, no, no, no. No, but... Uh, Maybe after the service, uh, but uh, no, you know, it's funny because Maggie and I celebrated an anniversary. By the way, Maggie Robbins is here today. Uh, she's back there in the very back. Uh, I'm not going to ask her to stand up, but, uh, but I said, Maggie, you know, if you're sitting back there, you won't see me as up close. And she goes, correct. But, uh, but anyway, uh, we celebrated an anniversary uh, a month or so ago, and uh, we were having our own little DTR conversation one Saturday morning, and we were laughing about how, how young we were when we got married, and how blessed we feel that now, you know, all these years later, I mean, we, we literally started taking social security payments this year, that uh, all these years later, we still like each other, and I said, yeah, we are literally friends with benefits. Uh, so uh, that, that's kind of our define the relationship thing. But uh, over these last few months here at FaithBridge, uh, we've been doing an extended study of the life and teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And this morning, as we continue uh, in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we see uh, in very stark and, and serious terms, Jesus is actually having a define the relationship conversation with his disciples. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. These very congenial folks walking down the aisle will be happy to give you one. Just put your hand up there. Uh, the Gospel of Luke is one of four Gospels. If you're not kind of familiar with Bible stuff, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus. And uh, this is in the New Testament. We're going to look at Luke chapter 9. So turn to 
Luke 9, verse 18. We'll put it up on the screen. Now, it happened as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the Holy Angels. Now this uh, has been an ex exhilarating and stunning journey for the disciples thus far. Uh, in the opening uh, verses of Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus, uh, we're told, summons all the disciples together and, and, and tells them that they are going to be sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And, and then, with the, the wonder of that commission still sort of ringing in their ears, uh, they share in this amazing miracle that, that, that Sully talked to us about last week uh, in verses 10 to 17, where Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish. And then it all kind of comes to a crescendo with this stunning conversation in verse 18 when Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say? Who do people say that I am? And honestly, uh, it's kind of, I think, fascinating because, because really at this point, the disciples aren't exactly sure who Jesus is. And you remember, even as you read the text, it's kind of like this awkward moment where they're all kind of, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they're all sort of staring at their feet. And one says, well, you know, uh, Elijah and John the Baptist and, you know, Jim Caviezel and, and Gandalf. And you've got all these different kind of ideas kind of being popcorned. Uh, but, but Jesus then says, no, here's the big question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, who is always willing to speak up, declares, you are the Christ. You are the Christ of God. And immediately, and we know this from Matthew's account of this very same conversation in Matthew chapter 16, that Jesus then immediately responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I mean, holy cow, this is, this is, this is amazing. I mean, try to imagine uh, the, the wonder, the amazement of this moment. They, they just heard Jesus for really the very first time in the clearest possible terms uh, say to them, yes, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. I mean, this is, this is exciting stuff, right? I mean, the disciples are all gathered together there with Jesus. They've kind of had this uh, mountaintop moment and uh, the disciples are Wow, I mean, we're, we're sent out. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, we get, you know, free bread and fish anytime we want it. Uh, you know, let, let's, come on in, everybody. Group hug, you know, let, let's do a selfie. Uh, Judas, would you take the picture? I mean, it's just, this, it's just this sense of, wow, this is an amazing moment. And then 
Jesus kind of kills the moment because he says, um, um, guys, this is great. But before we go any further, maybe we need to talk about what it means to be a disciple. Maybe we need to have a define the relationship talk. And, and let me just say, I suspect that if Jesus were here this morning, uh, listening to our songs, uh, attending to, to our prayers, and, and, and hearing our hearts, knowing our thoughts, he probably would say something very, very similar. Because for Jesus, authentic worship always comes back to this fundamental question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Not your church, not your family members, not your uh, you know, membership, not your uh, Spotify worship music playlist. Uh, who do you say that I am? And if you want to be my disciple, what does that really mean? What does that really mean in your life? And how, how do you define that relationship? And it's that question that brings us to these sobering words in verse 23. Let's look at it again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is basically saying to the disciple, okay, all right. You, you say that I'm the Christ of God. You're right about that. But now we need to talk about what that means. It's, we need to define that relationship. And with this one verse, Jesus gives us a very, very vivid picture of what it means to be his disciple. What does it mean to follow him? And in verse 23, Jesus answers that question in the form of two verbs. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross. So let's, let's talk about the first of those verbs. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Now, it, it seems crazy. It almost seems kind of backwards. But, but, but Jesus explains that discipleship is actually a magnificent yes, sort of wrapped up, protected by these very real no's. It's a magnificent yes, protected by a very serious uh, no. It, 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 it's, I remember on our wedding day, you know, I'd, like most you know, people are going to get married. I've thought about marriage. I've dreamed about marriage. I wondered about marriage. But I don't know if it actually hit me how real it was going to be until the moment when we were in the sanctuary. I'm standing in the front of the sanctuary and the music started. And everybody stood up. And all of a sudden it's like, holy cow. I mean, there's going to be a wedding in here. And, and you are playing a key role in it. And it just sort of hit me the way it's like, this, this is not like the prom. You know, you're going to return the tux and keep the girl. And, 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 and all of a sudden, these thoughts are just kind of, you know, blitzing through my brain. I'm thinking about all the choices that are going to be impacted by the choice I'm getting ready to make and how every other chapter of my life story is going to be impacted by the, 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 the next page, the next paragraphs of my life. And all these thoughts are going, and all of a sudden, she appears in the back of the sanctuary on her father's arm. And, uh, of course, I hadn't seen her all that day, right? Because, you know, the tradition, right? The bride didn't see the groom on the day of the, of the wedding, right? She, she might change her mind. And, and, and I remember uh, <laughs> as she started down the aisle with all these thoughts just kind of just blazing through my head, uh, it's the first time I actually had a chance to make eye contact with her. And that's all it took. I just, maybe I'm just emotional, you know, Maybe I'm just mushy, but I just lost it. I mean, tears 
tears started rolling down my cheeks because I, I started thinking about all the other women that were going to miss out. <laughs> yeah, I, I realized in just a minute, I'm getting ready to say yes to this woman. And if this yes is a genuine yes, it's going to mean no to every other woman on the planet who is not this woman. It, it, it was a magnificent yes, but if it's going to be a genuine yes, it's going to have to be protected by some genuine no's. Jesus says, look, if you want to follow me, that's awesome. If you want to say yes to me, if you want to be my disciple, fantastic. But you'll have to be willing to say some genuine no's. In fact, in fact uh, how about this? Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, now some of you might be sitting here going, well, that, that's awesome. I'm, I'm halfway there. I already hate a bunch of those people. Uh, that, 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 great. But, but that's not exactly what our Lord had in mind. Uh, 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 of course, you're supposed to honor your father and mother and love your family. What he was saying is this. Um, every love in your life, no matter how appropriate it is, compared to your love for Jesus, every other love should look like hatred by comparison. That, that's what it means to say a genuine yes protected by genuine no's. In other words, you, you want to say yes to sports? Fantastic. You, you, you want to say uh, you love politics? That's awesome. You have a boyfriend or girlfriend? Wonderful. You want to pursue success in your, in your job, in your career? You want to get a thousand likes on your uh, Instagram? But that's all great. But discipleship means we never let the yes we say to any of that stuff get in the way of the yes we say to Jesus because genuine discipleship is a magnificent yes, but it's wrapped up in some very real no's. You have to deny yourself. And, and actually the Greek verb there uh, is a very strong word. It, it means literally uh, forget that you exist. Uh, in fact, it, it literally means cease to, cease to consider your own interests in the slightest degree. And of course, we don't have to go back 2,000 years to understand the weight of that kind of challenge because we live in a culture, don't we, in which we celebrate and elevate the, the self above all else. Uh, some of you may remember this back in 2014, uh, Starbucks released uh, Oprah Winfrey's uh, Steep Your Soul collection of cup holders. And, uh, and, and they have these cool little uh, inspirational proverbs on each one. And I want you to see if you can pick up a theme uh, that's common. Uh, your life is big. Keep reaching. The only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want. Live from the heart of yourself. Seek to behold, not perfect. You are not here to shrink down to less, but to blossom in more of who you really are. Be more splendid. Be more extraordinary. Use every moment to fill yourself up. I always say one of the best ways to, to understand sin is by simply spelling out the word sin. Just S-I-N and circle the center letter I. Because the I is the heart of the storm. The I is the heart of the problem. It's when by nature I put my self, my big, splendid, extraordinary life at the core of 
everything. My desires, my intuitions about reality, my preferences, my needs, my sense of how fast you ought to be going in the passing lane. All of that, basically, all of that is submitted to myself on the throne of my kingdom. But the life God calls us to is not mapped out in the kingdom of self because God does not call us to a big, fabulous life. Ten miles wide, one inch deep. God calls us to an abundant life. He doesn't call us to live large. He calls us to live fully. To live fully. It's a new kind of life. In a new kind of kingdom with a new kind of king on the throne. And to live fully into that amazing yes. We have to die fully into a very real no. Jesus says, if you want to follow me. You have to deny yourself. But then later in that same verse, uh, he gives us a second verb. He defines the relationship with a second phrase. Verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Now, anybody's ever been in youth ministry for more than about 20 minutes, you have probably played this game with young people. It's kind of a group building exercise where you, you get two groups of kids and they're lined up facing each other. Uh, with their arms outstretched like that, about three feet apart. And then you get another kid who comes up on a high place, like a stage like this, and, and, and then you challenge them to fall back into the arms of the, the people down there. And, 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 and they catch them, you know, and it's a, just a great opportunity to, to talk about trust. Uh, or they don't catch them, and you, you talk about betrayal. Uh, but, 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 but the idea is, is that you, you, it's, it's a wonderful way to communicate the idea that trust is an all-in commitment. It's an all-in commitment. That's, that's pretty much the second mark of genuine discipleship. It is an all-in relationship with Jesus. It's laying it all on the line. It's falling back in his arms with absolute, complete abandon. And when Jesus used that phrase, take up your cross, he was making a declaration to the disciples that was uh, probably familiar and certainly startling because the Jews, especially in Galilee, they knew very well what the cross meant. In fact, the Jewish uh, historian Josephus uh, tells us that public crucifixions were fairly common in this day. Uh, and, and typically when someone was crucified, he was forced to carry the, the crossbar. They called it the patibulum. He was forced to carry that crossbar uh, to the site of the execution. So, so when the disciples uh, heard the phrase, take up his cross, they knew it wasn't just like a burden you bore. It wasn't just something you carried. It was something you died on. And you know, it's funny because today when you hear people say, well, you know, that's their cross to bear Sometimes we think of heartbreak. Sometimes we think of affliction. But a lot of times it's just kind of inconvenience, you know, just disappointment. Like, oh, 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 yeah, they got the hotel room with the garden view instead of the beach view, you know. Or, oh, this is, we have terrible Wi-Fi, but that's our cross to bear. Uh, it, listen, the cross was nothing less than an instrument of death. In, in fact, if Jesus were up here speaking this morning, he might use the image of an electric chair. It was just that stark. It was the most vivid way possible for Jesus to define the all-in nature of true discipleship. There are no half measures. Because followers of Jesus in that day, 
were frankly no different from followers of Jesus in, in our day and, and right here this morning. Uh, we, we kind of, you know, we kind of like the idea of discipleship, but, uh, but, but we, we, you know, we wanted the miracles, we wanted the bread and the fish and stuff, but, but, but what we don't want, what nobody wants is a cross. And of course, um, we understand that. But discipleship is an all-in proposition. There's no half measure. And unfortunately, an electric chair is not a place where you sit down to rest. It's a place where you sit down to die. I think most of us as Christians, we want the chair, but we don't want the charge. They come together. We're like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, uh, we want all the good stuff, the fellowship, uh, the, the worship, the blessed assurance. But, Lord, don't ask me to fall back into your arms. To, don't, don't ask me to put all of our weight, all of my hopes, all of our plans, all of my treasures on the promises that you will catch me. Real discipleship costs for it. Absolute descender, surrender. In fact, it's interesting um, Luke is actually, of all four Gospels, the only one who uses the word daily that we see there in verse 23. Take up your cross daily. And, and, um, and, and, and that's interesting because it's, I think, a critical word. It reminds us that uh, taking up the cross is not just a willingness to, 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 to die for Jesus. Uh, it, it certainly would mean that for some of the disciples. We know this was true, for example, for Peter and James, the brother of John. Um, and, and it certainly could mean that uh, for some believers who are alive today. But that word daily reminds us that the crucified life is lived out in the everyday choices we make at work, at home, uh, out in the playing field, in school, in our relationships, in our online life. And, and sometimes that kind of sacrificial living can feel pretty costly. In fact, in fact, it's interesting because, you know, Peter, Peter is the one who makes this declaration. You are the Christ. You are the Christ of God. Because this very same Peter, remember the night of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, when uh, Jesus says, you know, one of you guys is going to betray me. And they're just dumbstruck. They're, they, oh, my gosh, we can't. They can't believe it. Everybody's saying, no, not me. And, and then Peter says, Lord, remember what he said? I won't betray you. Remember what he said? I'll die for you. I'll die. Which is like, you know. I mean, if I were Peter's youth pastor, I'd go, Peter, would you share that Sunday night? I mean, I mean, this is great. Peter's willing to die for Jesus. That's awesome. But you remember what happened with Peter? Just a few hours later, he denies knowing Jesus three times. Three times. Because, see, here, here's the problem with, with Peter. Peter didn't seem to understand this. When you die for somebody... You can only do that once. And typically, it will occur right near the end of your life. And, and what Peter didn't seem to understand is that, you know what, for most of us, Jesus doesn't need us to die for him. He needs us to what? To live for him. To live for him. And life is lived daily, which means we need to die daily. Discipleship is about dying daily. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 31 says, I die every day. And, and, and 
I can say from my own experience, I, I think that's the way you have to approach it, you know. It, it's not a one-time deal where you pray a prayer, uh, come to the altar, buy a t-shirt, uh, you know, uh, buy, download a Bible app, watch The Chosen. I mean, it's not this kind of one thing you do. It's a daily discipline of dying to self. In fact, Paul describes it in Romans 12.1 as presenting your body to Christ as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Not once, but over and over and over. In fact, I think Oswald Chambers really nailed it when he said, you know, the problem with a living sacrifice is they tend to crawl off the altar. We have to take up the cross daily. That's the definition of a discipleship relationship. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, number one, and number two, take up his cross daily and follow me. Which brings us to one last question. Why would you do it? Maybe you're even sitting here this morning. Maybe you're, maybe you're visiting. Maybe you're, you're, you're a dad who brought the family. And you go, why, why, why would anyone do something like that? Why would anyone commit to that kind of relationship? Well, let's go back to the text one last time and, and see how Jesus answered that question. Look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. One of the, uh, one of the uh, standard kind of youth group camp games is, is where you get everybody in the swimming pool and you divide them up into two teams and then you throw in the pool this uh, greased up watermelon. And then you challenge each team and say their goal is to get the watermelon to their end of the pool. And uh, if you've ever done this, you know it's, it's, it's uh, almost impossible because the harder you grab, uh, the faster it, it squirts away. I mean, it's just the exact opposite of what your instinct sort of tells you to do. One of the odd paradoxes of the Christian life is the harder you grab, the less you grip. The harder you grab, the less you grip. Jesus said in verse 24, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. The, the, the obsession in our culture is to, is to grab for the gusto. You know, find your true self. Find what really and truly brings you happiness. And then, in the words of Oprah, the only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want. Okay, okay. But how does that work? When all of us, with even an ounce of self-awareness, recognize that we have conflicting desires, right? Like carrot cake makes me happy, but so does not having a heart attack. Uh, you know, which ones do I say no to? Which ones should I pursue? Which ones are real? Oh, oh and, and what about those times uh, that I courageously uh, reach for something and yet it remains beyond my reach? I mean, it, it's, it's nice when a billionaire media mogul tells me to be extraordinary. But what about when my life is just kind of normal? What about when I have good days and, and, and bad days and maybe even awful days? What about when my marriage is struggling or my career is failing? 
Uh, it, what about when uh, the nightly news just leaves me uh, discouraged? Uh, what, what about I'm stressed out about the next virus or I'm worried and struggling as a parent? What am I supposed to do? Oh, you can go back over to Starbucks and get a pep talk. <laughs> we live in a world that says your life is big. Keep reaching. The gospel says, you know what? Real life isn't about reaching big. It's about a God way bigger than you or your aspirations who so loved the world and so desired that we live an abundant life that he reached down to us. And Jesus basically says this three different ways in these verses. In each case, he's talking about life, not just life now, our days on earth, but eternal life. Look at this. Try to save your life, you're going to lose it. Try to gain the whole world, I'm telling you, you're going to forfeit yourself. Turn your back on me and you will not get to see my face in glory. Most of us uh, have probably heard the story of Jim Elliott, he, along with four other missionaries. He lost his life trying to take the gospel to the Alca Indians down in Ecuador. It's an amazing story. And in the book, uh, In the Shadow of the Almighty, written by his widow, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, she tells about their last days together. It had a profound impact on my early walk with the Lord because I think it was the first time I, I really had to come to terms with the question um, that I've pretty much had to face every day since. And the question is this, am I willing to die for Jesus today? Or, or, or maybe more to the point, uh, am I willing to die to self today so that I can live for Jesus? And, 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 and I promise you, people who know me all these years, maybe the woman back there, I would say, well, I don't want to be rude, Duffy, but I think you've missed a few days. Uh, and, and, and they'd be right. But that's why this morning we can't leave this passage without being reminded of two absolutely essential facts. Yes, yes, it is costly to live for Jesus. Yes, we are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. But fact number one, Jesus has already taken up the cross on your behalf. Knowing that we're sinners, knowing that we're going to fall short, knowing that we're going to crawl off the altar, he shed his own blood so that we could stand before our Father and his holy angels without shame in, in, a, in an act of mercy and grace that completely redefined our relationship with God. Jesus opened up to us a stunning opportunity to know life with the Father. All we have to do all you have to do this morning is truly believe it and accept it by faith. And if you've never done that, if you're just here this morning, you've never, I want to encourage you to do that, especially, especially you dads. Remember, it always comes back to this question. Who do you say that I am? But then secondly, maybe you're sitting here this morning and, you know, you're thinking, gosh, this relationship with God stuff, that's, that's, that's serious business. I'm not sure I can do it. Well, fact number two is you can't. You can't. I can't. None of us can do it. Only Jesus in us by his Holy Spirit can live out this discipleship relationship the way it's intended. Again, it's one of those kind of upside down paradoxes. We, we, have, to, we have to empty ourselves to be full. Um, Paul puts it like this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified 
with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was precisely the choice Jim Elliott willingly made that January day back in 1956 when he and his buddies touched down their little Piper aircraft um, on the sandbar in the Corderay River. They nicknamed the place Palm Beach. And they waited there excitedly to share the gospel with these people who had never, ever heard it before. Three days later, they were all dead. Viciously attacked by the very people they hoped to reach with the love of God. And of course, when news got back to the States, people were asking, oh my gosh, well, was it worth it? Five young men, husbands, fathers, friends, just snuffed. It was the price too high to pay. And I can tell you this, Jim Elliott would have had no doubt about the answer to that question. And we know this because they found in his journal these words written decisively in Jim's steady hand. And I often wondered, maybe he read Luke chapter 9 before he made this statement. Here's what he wrote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's read that together out loud. Let's read it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are absolutely stunned by your grace and mercy that you would invite people like us some of us who have made bad choices, some of us victims of bad decisions, some of us who have patterns of rebellion and turning our back on you. All of us, Lord, people who by nature want to do it our way. And yet, like lost sheep, you pursue us and you died on the cross. You, you, you made that genuine decision of yes to us, which meant no to your own life. Lord, I pray right now on this Father's Day, maybe there's a dad or maybe a mom or maybe a son or a daughter or maybe just somebody who's here is going, you know what? I really need to redefine my relationship with God. This is a gift that you offer us, not because we live good lives, but because you are a gracious and loving God. It's grace and mercy. And I pray this morning that you would help us to heed that amazing invitation to deny ourselves so we can say yes to an abundant life, that we can take up our cross and follow you. We pray this, Lord, in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.